Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Capital Dolting Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Gardner, and glad to be back with you again here. And so, you know, I appreciate all the support and the feedback that I got in the last one. It seemed like a lot of folks were interested in hearing a bit more about kind of job-related topics, right? So we discussed, you know, if you if you haven't listened to the previous episode, the main crux of it was discussing kind of the value of negotiating, you know, when when you've received a job offer and to ensure, you know, like what's the best approach, kind of what are some what are some best practices and, you know, how to handle kind of that situation as a whole. So as a follow-up, but really a sort of a prequel, um, you know, I guess this is kind of a, a Star Wars type thing where we're going um, kind of, you know, f- back to front, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that given kind of the interest in just the, the job seeking front, overall that I want to take a step back and before you get to the point of negotiating, you know, realistically you need to have, you know, either a high degree of confidence that you would, you know, you are getting a job offer or you have some sort of, you know, verbal or, you know, preferably a written offer in front of you. So to get to that point, you have to, you know, present yourself professionally. You have to do well in the interview process and get to the point where the, you know, the company, the recruiting manager, whoever you're talking to, is you know they're ready to hire you and and make an offer right so we're going to dive into what i believe are some kind of like again kind of similar to the negotiating episode we're going to focus on what are best practices what are the little details that will really separate you um, make you stand out compared to the rest of the crowd and some just general best practices so um, yeah, like I mentioned, really just kind of following up seemed like there's a lot of interest on the job seeking side. So I figured this would be just a natural segue. Um, and as mentioned, you can't really negotiate before you at least have some sort of semi formalized offer, right? Um, just one caveat here it, I'm not in an HR person, I haven't personally been responsible for. The, the direct hiring decision. I have been involved in the hiring process in kind of a complimentary capacity. So you can take my advice with a little grain of salt, but you know, I do have, you know, pretty good insight at least into at least how my organization handles the interview process, what the things they look for, what are red flags. And so that's really the experience I'm going to be speaking from today. And this is also more of a, a business uh kind of a traditional like business approach, right? So if you are, you know, a developer or maybe in, you know, some kind of engineer where maybe there might be part of the interview process involves like, you know, tasks or you have to demo kind of your knowledge. That's something that I don't have a lot of experience in that realm. So, you know, that's more applicable to you. Again, take my advice with a, with a grain of salt here, but let's go ahead and jump right into it. So, I think the biggest thing to remember when it comes to to dominating your interview process is is where you begin interviewing, right? A lot of people think, okay, yeah, it's when I show up, you know, I'm talking to somebody over the phone. Maybe it's when I show up in person and I'm actually, you know, discussing the position, answering questions and all that great stuff. Well, if that's how you view interviewing, I'm going to tell you you're absolutely dead wrong. Um, <laughs> that's really the, I mean, that's the tail end of the interview process, I'd say, because it really starts with, you know, at the very beginning, it's it's networking and doing your research, right? So on the networking side, you always want to have some sort of warm intro or referral when 
seeking a particular job, right? And that's beneficial for, you know, not only yourself and kind of understanding, you know, who's involved, what's a, you know, what does a job itself look like before you get too far along in the process, but it also helps out whoever's making the hire or just somebody on that business front where they know like, hey, they know a little bit about you going in. That way it's not just a kind of a cold intro. And I really can't underscore that enough. So if you just step back and think about it logically, right? Let's say you have a team, team of 10 people. One person's a hiring manager and they have, you know, one of their team members comes up to him and says, hey, you know, I got my friend who, you know, they followed the similar track as I did. Um, they're, you know, they're potentially interested. It doesn't even have to be like a, like an endorsement, right? It's just at least uh, that somebody the hiring manager knows that has some insight into you as a person, right? So you, again, you don't want to pressure your friends or connections into, you know, Hey, like go to bat for me, right? Unless they're a really good friend, you just don't want to put your, you know, your, your contact into a potentially compromising or conflicting, you know, conflict of interest position. So yes, you want to, you want to have that warm intro where, you know, that hiring manager can go that person and say, Hey, like got, you know, this person's, this person's expressed interest. Do you have any have any thoughts, any insights, and you know, of course, you want them to say some positive things, and just give you get that you essentially want to use that referral just to crack open the door, right? They're not supposed to secure the job for you; they're just supposed to get you that to the interview. So keep that in mind. Always want to look through, maybe looking on LinkedIn, through an alumni network, through friends of friends, somehow kind of build those, foster those relationships, build those connections, to where you know you're going to have opportunities for those referrals um, as you're getting along. And I think part of that too is if you have an opportunity to connect with somebody who is doing the job, right? If it's say an entry level job and somebody you know from a couple years back, it has been doing it for a while. Well then, yeah, it makes sense for you to reach out to them so you can ask them questions, glean some information. And again, see if that is that position would be a good fit for you. Because at the end of the day, it needs to be, you know, a mutually beneficial arrangement, right? You want to enjoy what you do, enjoy the people you're around, the company that you're working for, and vice versa. The company wants, you know, an, an inspired and motivated employee who's going to come in and do good work, right? So if it's not going to work for, for either party, then it simply just doesn't make sense to do. Um, the biggest thing to remember when it comes to, to networking is got to respect people's time. And Specifically mention this for, you know, folks coming out of college, as I think this is really where the, you know, the base of this, of this episode is kind of tailored, or the, the group of folks this episode's tailored for, right, is respecting people's time. Because when you're in college, yes, you may think you're busy, right, and you may, you know, think, okay, well, yeah, I'm taking, you know, X number of hours or units, and, you know, I'm working a job on the side, or, you know, I'm playing a sport, or I'm hanging out with my friends. I'm super busy, right? Well, I can assure you that you are not busier than somebody who is, you know, working out in the working world, especially if they're married. Double that if they have kids, right? The, the professional side is, is a large time commitment. So when I say respect people's time, if you reach out to somebody and they're willing to, you know, give you 30 minutes for a phone call or, or get a coffee with you, right? It is, the burden is on you to make it worth their well, right? So show up, you know, be professional, be prepared, be amenable to their, to their schedule, 
Right. That's one thing that has always, as I was kind of getting towards the end of school, it would blow my mind where I'd be talking to talking to friends and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I really want to connect with so-and-so. And, you know, they, you know, they say, oh yeah, we can, you know, get together at, you know, 7 a.m. And it's like, ah, oh, I, yeah, I don't want to get up that early. Like, I can't do it. I'm like, well, that's not, you're not respecting their time because just because you don't want to get up early means you're going to bypass a chance to talk with them, learn from them, hopefully give yourself that, that referral who's going to help open that door for you. So if you're not willing to get up early to do that, then you clearly don't respect them enough to deserve that referral. Because um, when I was in school, I mean, I was, you know, I always took what, 16, 18 units um, every semester, played a sport. So, I, I mean, I'd say I was decently busy. Um, but I still remember, you know, got to connect with this awesome alum and at this at this lunch and I wanted to meet with him one on one afterwards. And he's like, yeah, he's like, well, you know, you know, what time can you meet? And I was like, you know, any day, kind of any time, you know, outside of essentially outside of baseball practice, let me know when you're free. Like, I'll be there. And we ended up you know, getting coffee at like know, 645, 7 a.m. early, basically before his day started. And because that's, you know, the best time for him married with kids. You know, that's I'm not going to take away from time with his family after the fact. Right. So that's the kind of thing that, you know, be flexible, respect folks, respect their lives. And if you're going to ask someone for assistance or a referral, you know, work, work you know, do whatever it takes to, to make it happen. Right. And also, you know, follow up with a thank you. That's another uh, that's another good one. Um, so networking piece, that's step one, because if you think about it logically, like I said, you want somebody who's going to go to who's at least going to put your name on the radar of the hiring manager. They don't have to endorse you. They don't have to advocate for you. You just want them to say like, hey, like this person, you know, this person seems solid or hey, I'd at least give them a shot based on this interaction I had with them. Step two, research. And I think networking is still a component of this, of the research section here, right? Because you want to know, you know, who works in what roles of the company, but primarily you want to understand, understand the business the industry and the position that you're interested in. And by understanding it, I mean, you, you know, you, you know, you've really dug into it. You understand what it entails. You do more than a cursory, you know, glance over the, the job posting and the, and the company's homepage, right? Understand, like, look back, what were the, what were the noteworthy events that occurred for that company, you know, over the last year? Did they, did they, you know, buy out a company? Did they sell a division? Did they, they hire people. Were there layoffs? Did they restructure the organization? Right? Are they are they you know jumping into new industries, new products? Right? Those are the things that if you can display that knowledge when you're when you're talking to your you know to your referral or talking to the hiring manager in your phone screening, those are definitely the things that are going to set you apart. Is you know ask ask for more than just the the standard boilerplate questions. And I think so. That's you. Know, of course, you want to impress the your the person who's potentially going to give you a warm intro, or you know push your resume further up the line. But at the same time, throughout all these stages, you want to keep evaluating whether the job is going to be a good fit for you. Again, because if it's not, then you simply need to to cut bait and move on from it quickly, and be graceful about it, of course. But that way, you're again respecting folks' time. You're being candid. And you just, you aren't going to put yourself or the company in a bad position. 
So beyond kind of networking, you've, you've, you've done your research, you understand what the job entails, the folks behind the business, you've networked with people, you have a better kind of day-to-day understanding of what the job looks like, and hopefully have somebody who's going to name drop you to a, to a recruiter. Next comes the, the application. And this is, it, honestly, it surprises me how bad people's applications can be. Because when I was going through the, you know, kind of the, the interview, the job hunt process, that was one thing where it was like, I read that cover, the cover letter that it wrote. I, yeah, I, I somewhat used a template. I'd say it was probably like 30% standard text, like, you know, your intro, your outro. But then a lot of it was, you know, customizing it to the position, the recipient, putting their name on it. It's just the little things like that. You know, read that cover letter 10 times. Make sure it's dialed in because it blows my mind when I see somebody who on their, their cover letter, their resume, this is one of their skills is attention to detail, right? That's a great thing to have. That is, I, I wouldn't even say it's a great thing to have. That is a requirement to be successful in anything you do is having great attention to detail, and so it's just comical to me when someone's, you know, first, first bullet point, oh, what's my, you know, personality traits, boom, attention to detail. And it's like, okay, well, why, you know, why are these seven words misspelled? Why'd you use the wrong form of there, you know, right? There's just like grammatical mistakes, things like, you know, things like that, or, you know, just kind of random phrasing. You see some people try to like elevate the vocabulary of their letters or resume. And they you can just tell by the way, you know, the way the sentence is structured, they don't have a true grasp of what, you know, the, the meaning of the words that they use. So attention to detail is key. I mean, I would check your resume five, 10 times before submitting it, have somebody else look over it because having a second set of eyes on it is going to make sure, you know, it's going to pick up on things where that you wouldn't. So this happens to me, right? I'll type a sentence and I know what I'm trying to say in my head and I might just skip over like the or a, right? And as I reread it, my mind's already really primed to know what I'm trying to say in the sentence. So I might miss it a second time, even when I'm double checking it. So having somebody to to review it and you know make sure it's squared away before submitting it is, is definitely a recommended practice. Um, next piece is relevance. So within both a cover letter and your resume, you want to tailor it to the job that you're applying for. That's another one where, yes, it's good to have kind of a standard, a standardized, somewhat standardized resume, right? Like your experience isn't going to change. It's not going to change overnight. You're not going to have, you know, six new jobs to put on, you know, you're going for a sales job. So you're not going to have, you know, six different jobs you want to put down for sales. And then another three jobs for, you know, product or marketing or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but you can still, you can tweak bits of it, right? So if you have boiler, you know, uh, I'm sorry, bullet points of, you know, your character traits, well, maybe it makes sense, you know, if you were applying for a developer job that you're going to emphasize past experience with different programming languages, you know, things that you've, you know, uh, projects that you've done. I'm not super well-versed in the coding side. That's just an example. Um, meanwhile, if you run sales, maybe you talk about like a group project where you were the lead and you had the, you know, contact and, you know, hypothetically sell products to certain people, right? So there's different, different traits and experiences that you can emphasize and kind of shuffle around to make your resume more relevant to the job. Cause at the end of the day, 
part of the application process is being able to give, you know, that at least at a glance, show that you're capable of handling the role. So make sure your resume, you know, is relevant to what you're applying for. And then lastly, this is a big one. I think it's it's set yourself apart and get creative with your resume. It's it's always fun for me. I see it on LinkedIn where people, you know, really come up with some out of the box things like maybe doing video resumes or you know, somebody had, I think they were like donuts or cupcakes delivered to an office with the resume like taped inside the box, right? Things like that, you know, it's not going to guarantee you the job, but it guarantees you that you aren't, you know, you aren't passed over. So I think the stat is that recruiters generally allocate about seven to 10 seconds per resume where they're just going to glance at it. If things stick out, maybe they read further and maybe they push you further along in the process. Otherwise, you know, they'll just you know, throw it right in the trash can and, and completely forget you exist. So setting yourself apart, differentiating your application um, doesn't mean doing something wacky like sending a four page resume, because if you do that, you know, you're, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, that's just a, that's an assumption I made. Keep your resume the one page. Um, but if you get creative, that's just enough where you have a little bit of stickiness there for the you know the recruiter to remember you and kind of push your, your application up the line. So that's all the, the prep work, right? And this is all part of doing well in your interview is if you network, you get that warm intro to the recruiter, boom, they already know you, right? You, you do your research so you know who you're gonna be talking to. You know their background, all good things. You submit a pristine application so it reinforces that warm intro you got. Somebody said, hey, this person's this person's sharp. You should give them a shot. So they're like, okay, I'll look out for the resume. Boom, they get the resume. It's locked in. Makes you look really good. And they're like, okay. They already have a positive impression. You haven't said one direct word to them yet. And the flip side is true. You don't have that warm intro. You don't have that dialed-in resume or that piece, that factor that's going to set you apart. It's so much easier. The, the recruiter has no attachment to you you know, consciously or subconsciously, and that it's, it's way easier for them to just pass up on you. So once you've done all that and you're in a good spot, then likely, you know, they'll have you do some sort of screening interview, right? So maybe it's over the phone, maybe it's over Zoom, um, could be in person. Uh, it kind of just depends, though. I think a lot of companies go for phone screenings nowadays. So the biggest thing that I'd recommend here is know who you're who you're talking to. Um, and I just alluded to this a second ago, but I mean, obviously, you know, most, I would hope that most people say, Hey, you're going to be meeting with so-and-so or they, they email you and say, Hey, this is who you're, you know, we're going to be talking at this time. Well, you know, the internet's a beautiful thing. Go on LinkedIn, search their name, just search their name, you know, in Google or whatever it might be and learn their background, understand their, their current job. What was the progression to their current job? What school did they go to? What hobbies? What other organizations that, you know, have they been a part of? Who else are they connected to, right? Try to figure out something, um, some common ground there because it's point number two is making a personal connection with them. And you're probably picking up on this theme of you always want to be reinforcing a good mental image in, in terms of, you know, how the hiring manager or the folks interviewing you are, are thinking of you, Right always reinforcing that good image and reputation. So if you build a, you know, a personal connection, like I think 
one of the easiest ways of doing that, at least one of the easiest ways to show you care is you find someone on LinkedIn, you know, it'll notify them, gives them, you know, a little pop-up that says, hey, so-and-so, you know, viewed your profile. Great. That's, there you go. That's one thing. Just help stick, you know, stick in the mind of the recruiter, right? It's like, oh, hey, night before the interview, they went online and they, you know, they cared enough to look at my, look at my profile. That's, you know, I'd interpret that as a good thing. Some people might not, but I think in general, that would be, you know, in, interpreted as you care more than the average person, which you certainly want to. That's that's the uh, that's what you want to represent. So, you know, figure out, hey, did you all go to the same school? Do you have, you know, a common best friend? Maybe do you like the same sport or you work with the same volunteer organization or whatever it might be? Figure out some common ground that you can bring up and discuss in that interview and just just, you know, casually kind of you know, sneak it in there. Likely it'll be at the beginning, you know, where there's always that kind of, you're doing a phone screen, there's probably like that two to four minute, somewhat awkward introduction, there's gonna be some, some awkward chuckles, you get the, <laughs> you know, like one of those, like the triple laughs, um, the giveaway of, you know, um, just, you know, laughing, so it's not too awkward or silent, right, so use that opening window to, to make that connection, reinforcing that good image, and it's just gonna, you know, Having a having a personal relationship is always gonna you know again that it's just gonna increase that stickiness with the recruiter, um, and then as you're going through the the screening, you know it's likely probably gonna talk at a high level, probably walk through your resume to an extent, might not necessarily get super deep into the the character questions, but I would be prepared for that right. Study the you know the common interview questions and have kind of an outline of you know how to how to respond, but. Just be prepared to, you know, uh, provide color, provide commentary to your to your resume, defend the items that are on it, highlight how they're applicable. But overall, you're just emphasizing that you're a competent and confident person. And confidence is going to be key at any stage in this process, from the networking for a warm intro all the way through the negotiation piece. If you don't have confidence in that, how are you going to have confidence in, you know, working with teams internally or working in stressful client facing jobs, right? So always being confident in what you're doing, uh, no matter what. All right, so now you've dominated the prep work, you went to the phone screening, you've done really well, and they're they're elevating your resume, you know, your application onto kind of the next tier of folks, which if, you know, for a lot of companies, you probably would talk to a recruiter out of the gate, and now they're going to direct you to the, you know, the hiring manager of a specific team, right? Maybe it's a department leader, whoever it might be, it's going to be somebody who's more involved in the day-to-day operations and will be more than likely kind of a final decision maker on whether, you know, you're extended an offer or not. So again, the starting point is know who you're talking to, do your research, understand their role, kind of what, you know, what, what's their career. That was one of my favorite things, uh, you know, as I was going through the process was seeing like folks' career progression. And I would get to ask them, I'm like, hey, like, so, you know, you've been at this company for, for seven years. Well, that seems like, seems like the company, you know, really values employee loyalty. Um, and I saw you started in, in customer support. You kind of climbed a couple roles and then all of a sudden you made a jump to, to HR. Can you walk me through like what inspired that, that leap and how did the company, you know, how did they kind of respond to that? Were they supportive of that, of that career change? Um, was there additional training you had to go through? Things like that are innocuous questions and, again, underscores that you know who you're talking to. And it's you know, it's more valuable 
it's more valuable um, to you know continue showing that you that you put the time in, and I think to for to as a as the interviewee, you can get a better glimpse at you know at some of the at the culture of the company, right? So maybe a company is very supportive of of internal mobility of letting folks go from one department to another. And another might say, "Ah, oh, you know, like it was, it was a bit of a bit of a stretch. Had the, you know, push and pull a bit. It took me a few years to finally get there. Like, it's just it helps you glean more intelligence as you're trying to make your kind of your next career decision. So, continue, you know, knowing your interviewers, building those personal connections. And I'd say when when it comes to the interview itself, be prepared to give very specific examples. And this is where in my experience, folks really go awry. So you might ask a question, um, and it could be, you know, tell me about a time that you had, you know, uh, where you had you know, lack of attention to detail in a project and it came back to haunt you. Or, you know, kind of walk me through when you, you know, what was an example where you had really great time management skills and how did that benefit you, right? You need to be able to provide concrete, specific examples of saying, Oh, you know, one time, you know, that I really lacked attention to detail. Um, we were working on this on this project, and we were doing these, you know, complex, you know, calculations. And you know, maybe there was we, you know, we double checked some of the formulas, and one thing, you know, one thing was slightly off. So fortunately, you know, we were able to we were able to make the fix in time. But it was something that you know, had we not caught it, it could have derailed our entire project. Right, and there's kind of one of those things where, you know, you want to be genuine, all right? So you don't want to just blow smoke. People are going to tell when you're just, when you're giving them that classic, yeah, my biggest weakness is that I care too much or I'm I'm a perfectionist, right? Like, you, you need to be real. At the same time, you don't want to sandbag yourself to where you say, yeah, you know, my attention to detail is terrible. I'm not good at responding to emails. I really don't keep track of projects well. You know, I kind of just roll up and, and see what happens during the day. Like, that's a surefire way to disqualify yourself, right? So I'm not advocating doing that, but just be genuine in your interactions with folks. Um, so kind of game plan in your head. Um, everyone's different. You might be might be a flashcards kind of person. You might be like kind of write things out. For me, this applies to podcasting too, but I always like kind of came up with a rough outline of you know, someone's going to ask me what my weakness is, right? I'm going to be like, oh, you know, it's, you know, it's this, and then, you know, kind of dive into whatever it might be. Um, but I'm not one where it's like, I got to have, you know, an exact script written down, and I got to stick, you know, to that. So that might be why I ramble sometimes here on the podcast. But anyways, um, yeah, having those specific examples that are relevant too. Um, I think a lot of people, when they're talking, will, they kind of like launch into their answer, and they go and they go and they go and they just keep talking and they never really answer the question. They've kind of just defaulted back into one of the standardized answers that they like mentally had prepared. And it might not even be, it might not even be applicable, right? Like at the end of the question it might be like, Oh, were you talking about attention to detail or time management, project management, technical skills? Were you asking for a good example for an example of a time I could have improved, right? Like if you don't, if you aren't tracking, if you aren't like definitively answering the question, then that's going to, you know, reflect negatively on you. So specific examples that are relevant to the question. 
Along with that, though, it's important to strike a balance. You don't want to be robotic or scripted, right? Like I said, you don't want to be rambling on because you had this memorized memorized answer, and then they ask you, like, oh, yeah, can you can you dive a little bit deeper into that? What do you mean by, by this, right? And they throw you a little bit of a curveball, and all of a sudden you don't have a scripted response, right? You can't panic. You can't hesitate, right? Remember, at the end of the day, you're talking about your own life. So hopefully, hopefully you feel pretty confident and, you know, speaking the truth about the life experiences and events that you've gone through. Um, but it's, you know, if you come across as a robot, I mean, that is a red flag again to an interviewer, right? Of like, okay, this person is, you know, they've just had, they have these canned answers, right? Well, that's really not, I don't feel that personal connection with somebody who only has canned answers. Um, they, you know, they're, they're not showing that they're very dynamic, right? Like if you, if you can only memorize a script, what's going to happen when you get on a call with a customer and they got to go through, you know, their specific case and it's, there's no, there's no, you know, kind of book on it. There's no example. There's no script to use where you're just, it's a live fire exercise and you're under the gun. So be, demonstrate that you are, you know, quick on your feet, can respond to twists and turns and be more than just a, you know, plug and chug kind of robot. I alluded to this a little bit ago, but one of the biggest ways to differentiate yourself in these later stage interviews is asking thoughtful questions. Yeah, you can run through the normal like, oh, like, what does your day to day look like? You know, like, you know, how many clients do you typically work with? Yeah, those are all you know, fine and well. And I think to an extent, hopefully through the interview process, you get some sort of opportunity to shadow or talk to somebody kind of in the role, learn a little bit more about what they're doing. But get, you know, be more dynamic than that, right? All about, you know, positive. You want reinforcing the positive image in people's minds and building those those personal connections. So like I talked about where you look at somebody's, you know, career path within a company, you say, hey, you changed departments. Fill me in on that. What led to that? You know, what, you know, what, what, what were the top skills that you were able to transfer from your, from your previous work experience into this position? What are some of the, what are some of the best, you know, parts about kind of your job in, in a specific way, right? Try to get, you know, get specific again and ask somewhat, some reasonable, but out of the, you know, out of the beaten or off the beaten path type questions. Um, that to me is always impressive when someone's done their research on me and they know, Hey, like, like, Hey, you know, Oh, maybe you got promoted and, you know, uh, a year and a half, right? Like what's the normal timeline on that? And, Oh, it's two and a half years. Well, that's, that's great. How'd you pull it off in 18 months? Right. Something like that is, you know, I had one guy, you know, who he, he asked me specifically, like what sort of, you know, what sort of traits do you think, um, would allow someone to be to the most successful in this particular role, right? There's just things like that where, where they, you know, they're not crazy, you know, they're not totally out there questions. They're very applicable, but they're, they're thoughtful and they just reinforce that you care about what you're, what you're asking about. Um, you know, overall, I think the details matter. We talked about attention to detail, but I think within the interview, you know, it's how you carry yourself. How do you introduce yourself? What's your appearance? You know, what kind of you know vocabulary you're using? You know, body language, following up with people, all those things. Those are the little things that add up, and they can add up in the positive column or the negative, right? So if if you're going into an interview and you might not even know it, but you you might be like an on the fence candidate where they're like, yeah, 
there's some red flags. We don't really know about them, but you know, hey, we'll give them an interview and see what happens, right? If you're in that sh- position, you're going to need all the positive boost that you can get. So um, just take care of the little things, and the little things will take care of you. Um, and then lastly, this is a this is a big one, and it goes back to respecting people's time. But whenever possible, you know, send a thank you as a follow up, right? You know, I whenever I had people's direct emails, yeah, I'd send them a thank you email. Um, you know, you could. I know some folks do handwritten notes. That's always that's always great too. I would try to find folks on LinkedIn too if I didn't have their email, and I'd you know try to add them and send them just a thank you note over there. You know, not expecting them to accept, but to at least you know hopefully see my thank you and remember that. So, thank yous always go a good ways. Um, you know, no one's ever going to be upset that you thank them, right? Uh, you know, I think this will be this will be kind of funny. I wanted to give like a very distinct example of someone who, I think, really excelled in the and and taking care of the process that we've talked about right managing the networking doing the research you know prepping for the interview process all of that and then eventually leading to a successful outcome so um, i'm actually going to talk about how my sister got her job at google so this will be a test to see if if she actually listens to the podcast so um if i get a text about hey that's so awesome you you put me in the podcast, then I'll know that uh, that she actually cares. But if not, I'll be able to call her out. You know, just a little a little sibling back and forth there. So, why I really like my sister's story about joining Google, um, it really you know underscore or really emphasizes you know the perseverance and the dedication to kind of knowing what she knew what she wanted. She knew she wanted to work at Google. And she was going to figure out, you know, any way possible to make it happen. And so I've always admired her tenacity in that regard. And I thought, you know, her story is worth sharing on here. So as a starting point, you know, she went to, went to, you know, a pretty solid, a pretty good, you know, state school. Um, she, you know, got a, a double major. So I guess she technically has more degrees than me. That's okay. Um, but did, you know, did really well in school. So she's, you know, coming out with accolades and, and degrees and all that good stuff. Knowing she wants to work at Google and you know, it's very highly competitive, right? Google gets the best of the best for a reason. Um, so she start. she's like, okay, well, where do I start? She worked with kind of her, you know, career center there as well as just leveraging, you know, LinkedIn um, to, to find the one alum who was working at Google at the time, right? So she was able to, you know, get in the contact with her, discuss, you know, talk about that lady's job, what she was doing, how she got it, what the interview process looked like. Um, And then lo and behold, that person had, you know, was friends with the recruiter for the the job that she was looking for. So things kind of, you know, nicely fell into place there, underscores, hey, networking get that warm intro right so she gets the warm intro she's doing the screening she puts together you know a a rock solid you know application um and then she did a really good job of building on that warm intro with the recruiter so just almost you know becoming friends to an extent with that person right reinforcing that positive imagery um and just making like turning the recruiter into an internal advocate for her so um that's all good stuff. And I mean, it, 
for them, when I speak to attention to detail, this was uh, just a funny sidebar. She talked about my sister got a call from the recruiter like pretty late one night, and they Google was so specific. They had they looked over her transcripts and compared them to her resume, and they were like, "Hey, so on your resume, you say your GPA is you know three point seven, but we're seeing here in your transcript it's really three point six nine 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 nine. Was this a typo on your resume? Like, you know, can you talk me through that? And I mean." Come on, any reasonable person's gonna round that to three seven, right? It's kind of ludicrous to, to to follow up with a phone call on that. But how like how clear of an example is that that attention to detail matters? Is that you rounded your GPA up, you know, what a one one thousandth of a of a point? Like, okay, we're gonna call you out on it essentially. So keep that in mind. People might get that specific with you. Um so she did really well, right? Networking with the recruiter, um, and she did an insane amount of prep for those interviews. And the the whole I'm not even I, I don't recall offhand all the specifics of what Google's kind of process looks like. But there are definitely numerous rounds. You kind of go in front of panels. I think they give you like a hundred question like prep document of like, hey, here's a bunch of different things we can ask you. Like, be ready to answer any of them. Right, and so it's it's a very intensive process, and she she did really well, and she got all the way through kind of the final through the final rounds for you know position uh, I believe it was in Austin, and then sadly Google ended up they kind of did they kind of shifted, and they you know they eliminated the position right they just said oh you know we're not you know we're allocating resources elsewhere we're no longer hiring you know thanks you're a good candidate but but no thanks so. She, it wasn't that she, the company rejected her. They basically said, hey, the position you wanted is no longer available, right? So how did she approach that? Well, she handled it like a professional, right? She didn't burn any bridges. She took the time to thank everybody that she spoke with. And the best part was she stayed really close to the recruiter, right? She had that personal relationship and she made it clear like, hey, I want to be at Google. You know, what's it going to take? Can you keep me in mind for other things that come up? And so lo and behold, I think it was a couple months later, and obviously, you know, it was a kind of a, I believe it was a different department, different state, um, but she, that second opportunity came. A recruiter got in contact with her, got her connected with the right folks. She did the same thing, prepped, dominating the interviews, and next thing you know, she landed her job at, at Google. And so I think that's just a great story of, you know, she did all the right things. And it didn't, and all of them still didn't work out on the on the first time through no fault of her own, right? The position simply was eliminated. But did she get bitter about it? Did she give up, lose hope? No, she did none of those. She continued to do all the right things, stayed close with the people who had the ability to to influence, you know, what could happen, and you know, it paid off in the long run. So I use that as, you know, a visceral example to underscore all the points I've talked through today. You know, the value of networking, doing your research on the people and the company, um, making sure you have your applications dialed in. It's going to differentiate you. You're going to stand out. You continue to impress as you're going through the phone screenings, the interviews. You're building those those connections um, and just making yourself, a, you know, a standout no-brainer hire, right? Those are all good things. So, um, last, you know, I just kind of ran through a quick hit list of things that are important, but as always, you know, being professional and respecting folks in all capacities, 
you know, and you can, you're respecting somebody by putting together, a, you know, a dialed in one page resume, right? You're not burdening the recruiter with trying to sift through and, and decipher, you know, a complex or, you know, poorly crafted resume, right? That's respecting them. And people appreciate those things consciously and subconsciously. Don't forget that. Um, your due diligence and preparation is what will set you apart and it will make or break you, right? If you get exposed where you don't really know what job, you don't know what, you know, what traits are going to make you successful in a particular job, or, you know, you don't know who you're talking to in an interview process, that will, there's a high likelihood that those will, I mean, they'll definitely negatively impact you and they very well could, you know, completely disqualify you. Um, you know, when it comes to answering questions, giving specific examples with with a lot of details and making them relevant to the question that was asked are also you know, good ways to keep differentiating yourself. And lastly, and this is, this is a big one this day and age, a lot of people like to be robotic. They like to be static. Think, okay, you know, I just kind of file, you know, I stay in line. I just, you know, do X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, like, this job will just land in my lap. That's not the case. Even if you get the job, you're not going to be successful unless you have the ability to think on your feet, you know, be quick um, and handle, you know, handle dynamic situations where things are going to be in flux and you have to work with incomplete information. So always be dynamic and, and you know, demonstrate that as you're going through the interview process. So I hope this was helpful for, for all y'all. I know the last couple of episodes have been a little bit longer. So if you've listened this far out, you know, as always, appreciate it. Um, appreciate all the support of the podcast and, you know, truly do hope this is, is providing value to, to you out there. So if it is definitely reach out to me, find me on Instagram at capital adulting. Um, you can email me grant at capital adulting.com. Um, you know, I'm always here to be to be a resource for anyone out there that's listening. So, if you just have follow up questions, you have topics you want to co- you want me to cover. Um, potentially, if there's certain guests, certain things that would be helpful to get an outsider's perspective on, love to do that too. So, um, send all of those my way. If you have just any questions, you know about life in general, any of the topics we've we've covered so far on the first twenty episodes here, don't hesitate to reach out. But um, appreciate y'all making the time and until next time, take care.